Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 27 of Hack to Start. This episode features Mark Mazaros, the co-founder of Snappable, and a software engineer given love where it's needed at 5 by. Tyler and I basically wanted to invite Mark onto the show since he's a really smart dude who taught himself how to code in school. Mark is also from our hometown of Ottawa and recently made the move to San Francisco. We wanted to catch up with him to see how things are going. He's also got a ton of experience building products, so we wanted to get his perspective as an engineer on what it's like to build startups. Let's get to it. Hey, Mark, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me on, guys. Awesome. Uh, so we always like to start off by getting to know a little bit more about our speakers. So where are you from? What did you study? And how did your passion for entrepreneurship develop? So I am from Ottawa, um, kind of like you are, Franco. And I studied in computer science. Um, one of those odd people that actually studied uh, computer science and then went into the same field as opposed to coming on from some other tangent into entrepreneurship. Um, which kind of helps a little bit for uh, the technical stuff. But uh, I was originally just thinking, you know, I'll just get my corporate job and whatever until I eventually kind of jumped into this idea of entrepreneurship because everybody was saying, oh, you know, startups are cool and everything. For sure. And I had never done it before. So I was like, oh, why not? Let's just dive off the deep end and start doing that. So I kind of just jumped into it right after I finished out of school. So I don't have a huge backstory like some other guests on the show have had, but. But but it's still a pretty interesting story. Um, but but before we get to it, so like, how did you learn how to code? What what age did that start? I had thought about doing it in high school, and it was always kind of an interest. But I, I kind of learned it on the side since I knew I kind of wanted to go more in depth when I went to university. So I just picked up some programming books and kind of learned it over the summer before I started uh, the more traditional kind of schooling in university. So I hadn't had any kind of early on programming, but I've been playing around with computers since a very young age, so I'm kind of not new to the whole technology thing. But the programming definitely came up a little bit later. Yeah, for sure. What did you start with? Uh, of all things, C++. So <laughs> Nice. Cool. And then so how did you actually start to make the transition towards mobile development, which is a little bit more what, you, what you're doing now? Uh, I guess it started... Obviously, as a user first, you know, I got Android phones when you know the smartphones started coming out in the late 2000s there, and you know, just being an avid user and then starting to learn about programming, I was like, oh, it'd be kind of fun to build, you know, apps on this mobile device that I'm using all the time to solve some of the problems I've been having all the time. So as I was going through school, I was like, oh, let's build a small app to try and solve this problem. Ended up doing that as kind of the final year project. And kind of shelved that for a while and started doing startup stuff, which was kind of more web-focused. And through that serendipitous adventure, eventually got back to mobile stuff a little bit later uh, in the other projects I started doing later. Hmm. 
So, so through university and, and kind of picking up coding on the side, especially the, the mobile development, you actually started the uh, Android Developers Group here in Ottawa while you were still in school. Um, so why, why did you decide to start that and what was the biggest kind of lesson or outcome for you? So I would, didn't actually have the idea to start the group. It was a friend of mine. I was in the student association at the university and uh, one of my friends there always wanted to go to an Android developer group, and there wasn't one in Ottawa. The closest one was in Montreal, so he, he came up with the idea of, oh, let's start this, you know, an Ottawa version of the Android developer group, and he kind of knew me, and he said, hey, Mark, you want to help me kind of start doing this thing? And I was like, all right, sure, I'll, I'll help you. So I kind of got roped into it a little bit, uh, but it kind of grew onto me, and eventually started organizing it. I think the biggest thing we learned is it's, tough organizing groups and keeping yes. yourself motivated to have people come out and have interesting topics and do it you know month over month in our case um, the things that really help is making sure you're just keeping a schedule to promote you know when you have a meetup every month you know putting out the twitter posts the mailing list posts you know updating the website making sure you do that early um, really helped us uh, for the events where we had good turnouts, those are the things we did. So it's just kind of planning everything and making sure you, you get the word out as early as possible really helps to get attendance up. For sure, and it's, and it's still going today, and I think it's got a couple hundred members now, right? Yeah, so we have the, the meetup group, and we kind of had somebody else take over the reins. Um, Chris yes. Saunders, you know, he moved to Toronto, and I'm now kind of no longer in Ottawa, in San Francisco now. So we kind of both original organizers are kind of we've gone our separate ways. So it's a little people bit of a in drive. the community, yeah, people in the community have kind of taken over that group. That's great to see that it's still going on, though, um, especially when the, you know the founders kind of drifted apart. But um, so besides that, you're currently working at Five by. Um, we had Greg on the show a while back, but before we talk more about that story. Um, let's talk about your background in startups. Uh, what was your first uh, startup product that you created? So I guess the f we'll go a little bit before that. Before I created my first one, which will lead into the first one I kind of co-founded in, was uh, right out of, high, out of uh, university. I worked for a company called Arkley, and they had an ad and social product. Um, so I worked on that for a few months, and we eventually ended up getting accepted into a startup accelerator uh, in Toronto called Extreme Startups. So we went to that program, and after that program is kind of where I started my first startup, uh, which is called Snappable on the side with some other people you've had uh, interviewing on here, Hannah Baza yeah, and Andrew Draper. Right? The so trifecta is now complete. The <laughs> trifecta is complete. So that's the, Snappable is the first one I started on my own, but the first startup I worked for was uh, Add in Social, which was essentially just you know, trying to add more social components to an existing website for, for other people to use. And Andrew was involved in that one as well, correct? He, that's the first place uh, I met Andrew, was uh, working on Add in Social. I just started, I think, been a month, and then next thing I know, I meet this guy called Andrew who's joining us. I'm like, all right, we've got a designer guy here, and... You know, it just our friendship kind of grew from there. So that's awesome. So as you mentioned, you were part of a team that got accepted into Toronto's Extreme Startup Accelerator for a product called Gidget. Um, would you be able to talk to us about what the product is? Definitely. So we got accepted into the accelerator, not under Gidget, but under the Add-in Social product. And through a series of events, we eventually ended up 
some would say pivot. I want to call it a restart because we essentially just shelled that in social and started focusing on Gidget. So we restarted with a new idea, which eventually became called Gidget. And Gidget was essentially uh, basically being your calendar assistant to help you plan you know, your schedule in the next 48 hours, right? Instead of running around trying to figure out who you're meeting with, where you're going to meet with, it just kind of be this sidebar in your calendar that give you all the information at a glance right there so you don't have to have it in five different places so you can own your meetings and be on top of your schedule and just be more productive. So how did That's you guys actually do that, uh, that reboot? The story is we had this kind of musical chairs with a bunch of mentors and investors that were kind of leading up the, the cohort and, and the accelerator. And each team that was in the accelerator would go around and give their two-minute pitch, and we'd get feedback and questions from them. So the five teams did this, and we did it five times. And by the time we were done going to all the different tables, we realized, well, this is not going to be this hockey stick-style business. So we needed to come up with a new idea that would probably you know, be more attractive for investors at the end to maybe fund this. So we ended up kind of going back and coming up with a new idea that ended up being Gidget. And we, that's what we worked on for the remainder of the program. And that's what we pitched at Demo Day at the end. That's cool. So, so throughout the process, what, when did you guys decide to pivot? Was it like very early on in the, the accelerator process? or? Yeah, it was, in the first, it was in the first two weeks, which helped because had we done it later on, we wouldn't have had as much to show. By the end, because we managed to make that decision early on, we did have a working prototype. And we actually learned a few things, even in those 12 weeks. Um, of We even did sub-pivots, I can say, within Gidget itself, where the original idea that was born at Gidget, you know, by week eight was different than what we had at week two. Um, so even within the Gidget reboot, we had pivots within that uh, because we decided to just build it and throw it out there and get feedback from users rather than just kind of waiting until the end and launching on Demo Day. Mm -hmm. So that, w that was one thing that really helped us, I think, was just building something as quickly and cheaply as possible, getting it out there, getting people looking at it, getting feedback from early users, and then just kind of iterating from there. So how was your experience from going through an accelerator program? And is it something that you would recommend uh, early stage startups to do? If you've never done it before, I definitely rec recommend somebody do it if you have the opportunity. Uh, I think the biggest thing I learned out of it is you're so close to four other teams that are struggling through a lot of the same issues you are. And each team has a different approach on trying to solve the same problems you're facing and you get to see how these different teams are approaching the same problem in their di different and unique ways and it makes you realize that there's not just one way and that each way has its own advantages and disadvantages and that you, you usually have to come up with your own method to solve your own unique problem that doesn't always it's not always textbook right so mm -hmm. just having that exposure to these different people and these different teams helped a lot to kind of see oh aha I see they did it this way as opposed to that way even though the mentor said this way it doesn't work for this kind of niche or this kind of vertical so I think that really helped a lot um, and then, you know, of course, the, the other stuff, like the networking and the people you meet, uh, of course, is beneficial. But just getting in that close group and seeing all these different perspectives in a short amount of time gets you a lot of exposure that would, in any other scenario, you'd have to work for a bunch of companies to see how different companies do it. That's really cool. I think, um, I think Frank and I both had a, a first 
um, hands-on view at what Extreme Startups was in, because that's the the movie that the documentary that you um, brought to Startup Grind, correct, Franco? Yeah, yeah, we had uh, we had um, David Chan, who was the I guess they recorded the first cohort. Was that your cohort, Mark, or the one after? I th- we were the first cohort. I think this was the one right after. Yeah, I think they did the second one. That's right, because it was three other companies. It was uh, JS with uh, Picatick, um, and then uh, the other, the HR one. I, the name eludes me, and then and then a third company too that uh, ended up uh, shutting down just a little bit afterwards. But yeah, it was a really good movie called uh, Day Job, and uh, they basically recorded it at at uh, Extreme Startups. Yeah, no, it's, it was a, it was an amazing amazing documentary. So, Mark, um, you've you've mentioned a lot of lessons that you that were learned throughout the process of going through extreme startups. Um, would you be able to share with us some of the biggest challenges that you had? I think the biggest challenge. I'm I'm an engineer first, right, and then I'm kind of learning as I do startups, kind of more the business side. Um, as an engineer, I always want to overbuild everything and go like crazy implementations of everything. Um, but the biggest thing you have to learn quickly as an engineer is when you're starting a small startup is as much as you want to have all these amazing technical things implemented that'll like scale like crazy you don't have the time to do that you've got to really focus and just build the minimum you need to test to see if that idea is even valid the example i can think of right now is in gidget we had this uh, feature that was going to automatically match people and we could have built this crazy you know matching system that does all this, that categorizes, you know, all the events for you. We ended up just doing it manually, you know, categorizing people's uh, events in their calendar as opposed to building some system that would analyze all this. And we ended up throwing that out two weeks later because we realized people didn't want that. Had we built that, you know, crazy system out, we would have spent all that time and energy, which could have been spent towards figuring out was the wrong thing we were building. So I think that's the biggest thing is trying to figure out where you can build the simplest version to start with and then make sure that that's the right path forward before you invest more time and fix you know the shortcuts you took in the first pass and fix it in passes after so what was the outcome with uh, with Gidget and and how did you go from that product to snappable so after we pitched on demo day um, we basically didn't have the follow-in investment from BDC for a bunch of various reasons and we kind of had run out of money, so everybody on the team just went their own separate ways, pretty much, for about a week. And then, oh, <laughs> and, a, big, and, and a big period of time. <laughs> a big period of one week went by after we went our separate ways. And then I get a call from Andrew and Hannah, and they say they want to talk to me. So they pitched me the idea of what ended up becoming Snappable. Next thing you know, I'm working on another startup. So it was a short uh, distance between one startup to the next within yeah. just a week. And when we had Hannah on the show, she said that you were actually still, you know, you know that that the Snappable still going, it's still making money, and that you know periodically you'll still, you know, make an update or whatever. So what what what's the status with Snappable? Yeah, yeah, it's still running. It's turned more into kind of a side hobby project, more so for me to test out new technologies and just have fun on the side, more so than you know some hockey stick growth. I think Hannah had mentioned it. We kind of realized that it wasn't going to be this you know big massive type thing, but it'd be kind of a more smaller kind of lifestyle business, which is fine, but that's um, kind of not where my heart is right now. I, I kind of want to do kind of these big crazy things right now, and this is just more of a hobby type thing on the side. But if you know, at some point somebody wants to take over the reins and the right person comes along, definitely we'll hand those reins over. 
there you go. There's an outstanding offer for anyone listening. <laughs> Inherit an awesome app. So you actually tweeted the other day that uh, you know you should start a drinking game every time you hear Five By mentioned on on Hack to Start. And so far, we've mentioned it at least twice in this episode. Um, <laughs> yeah. But basically, you've been working there since since July 2014. Um, what's what's it been like moving from Ottawa to San Francisco to work you know in tech? Uh, it's been a roller coaster. I've learned what to do and what not to do when moving to a different country. But like what? The dream the yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, like whole the list started. is long. <laughs> the list is too long for this. It's like something I put in a blog post, but it's the best thing that, you know, saved me a lot of trouble was having the lawyers do all the immigration stuff. That saved a lot of work. The other thing is just realizing that all the things you take for granted in Canada, you have to start over from scratch in a different country. So like getting all your paperwork in order, you know, finding a place to live and transferring all your assets, both, you know, Financial and physical is a big headache, which you don't think about in the idea of, oh, I'll just move to San Francisco kind of a thing, right? And then you realize, oh, wait, it's a little bit more work than just moving from one apartment to another in the same city when you're moving to another country. So For sure. It's also coast to coast for you and everything. Coast to coast, uh, the other end of the continent. So that was a little bit more uh, Cold to, warm. to the to-do list. It is warmer, though, so that <laughs> there is some positive to that. So, But other than the, the whole kind of to-do list when you make a big move like that. The rest has been awesome, right? Everybody says you want to come to San Francisco. You know, the weather is great. The people you meet here are very diverse, and you always hear people talking about startups. Um, I'm surprised every time I walk down the street and I see people sitting down for coffee, and you just kind of overhear them a little bit, and they're just talking about how they're raising or they're pitching an idea and how they want to start something. So that's the biggest thing I've liked when I've been here is just having that atmosphere of everything seems possible here, which is not always the case in other places where you try and start a company. For sure. And so what's a, what's a regular day like for you at, uh, at the 5 by HQ? Stroll in. Uh, in. Later in the morning, I'm not a morning person, so I'm kind of a late morning kind of person, which is kind of cool because, you know, as long as you get your stuff done, people don't care, right? So we deliver. So whether I show it in a Nine or ten, it doesn't matter, but uh, that's that's one thing that's really nice is there's no schedule, so as long as we get our stuff done. But once I'm in there, then we kind of look at what we have on our plate, you know, the new features we want to implement in the next few weeks before we push out a new update, and that's kind of what we focus on, right? And we really look at the metrics. We see, you know, are we doing the right things? Are people actually liking what we're doing? And we just kind of tweak from there and implement those features. And then uh, we just see how we can improve for the next iteration of five by for sure and so uh do you have anything uh anything that you can share with us so that uh, as, as far as what's planned for 2015 so we announced that we had gary v as kind of the first person as kind of having a person as a channel in five by so definitely look forward to having more people have uh, kind of more interesting channels and partners getting signed up on five by um, Absolutely, that's pretty cool too. Like I remember uh, seeing you guys announce that, and it had crossed my mind uh, a couple weeks before that you know you guys should have these these kind of channels. And then I see Gary V pop up, which is super awesome because I'm a big fan of his show. Yeah, so he's the first. We're working on possibly a few others. Um, we're working also on other video sources uh, as well, which we haven't announced, but that those are in the works as well. So not just the Vimeo and the YouTubes of the world, but some other video sources which are going to be coming out soon. Ooh, so cool. we're working. So That's we're working awesome. on that too, so we can get videos from not just those content providers, but uh, all across the web. So that's definitely something to look into. That's kind of in the pipeline. 
And, you know, obviously just, you know, iterating and making sure we get the best product we can out there and listening to user feedback to make it better. That's awesome. I can't wait to see the what has in store for 5 Um Franco just uh, introduced me to them, you know, before we uh, interviewed Greg and I fell in love with the app. It's, it's so much fun and um, without cable, it's my go-to pretty much besides Netflix. Um, so where do you see the biggest opportunities for um, entrepreneurs? I'm really interested once all these devices that have sensors are everywhere and it's ubiquitous. I think we're in the early stages of that. And mm-hmm. once we have all these sensors kind of everywhere, whether it's on your person as like wearables or you have the nests and everything in your house and everything is kind of hooked up, then I think it gets really interesting because you can connect all these things and start getting data about all this and s- having these connections that you never would have thought possible before. Now, it's all of a sudden possible because everything is kind of connected. Um, a watch is only so useful if it's a smartwatch, if it has data about everything else to show you notifications on that. Your Nest is only so useful if it knows all your habits and your schedule and your calendar and all that sort of stuff. So the more sensors you have, I think, the more you can build kind of context around your life and the smarter this kind of whole system can be around your life and around your habits until it turns into Skynet and kills us all. But, you know, if it doesn't turn into that... But there'll be that brief window where it'll be pretty cool. But there'll be that brief window where I think it'll be really amazing where technology you know, will serve us, you know, and make us not have to worry about all these things. And we can just focus on the human elements of interacting with people rather than managing all this technology, if it can manage itself. For sure. With wearables in mind, do you see any other industries that are going to either leverage this or that interest you right now? The, I think learning is one type of thing, mostly because I felt it's kind of been lagging behind. Um, I think it's very stuck in the ways of very formal learning where you sit for so many hours and not being interactive as much as it could be. I think different people learn different ways and having different styles that you can interact with is one thing to definitely look into. Um, that being said, it is a hard problem to solve uh, because there's so many established institutions right, that have done these things in a certain way for the longest amount of time. But you know, if you can learn to code online with Code Academy, why can't that be your gateway into startups to being some sort of technical developer that wants to do that. You don't necessarily have to go to university to learn you know, how to go the traditional route like I did for, for programming. Um, but I think it's still at early stages in there. And having this technology you know, that we haven't had before with the internet and this e-learning stuff, I think can open the door to a lot more people that might be interested in lowering the cost as opposed to having to spend who knows how much to go through the, the traditional system. Yeah, for sure. So I know that uh, that you had a huge list of stories, you know, from your trip down to San Francisco and, and maybe back to what it's like to move from one country to another. Um, are there any any of those that, you know, funny or unbelievable stories that you want to share with us or that you can share with us? I think that my two favorite ones are how we restarted Gidget and, you know, the categorizing uh, story I'd mentioned before to you before we recorded this. So the first one is um, back when we were in the accelerator, when we learned we weren't going to do, you know, add in social anymore, we said, all right, we don't want to quit. We don't want to leave. We have to come up with a new idea. What are we going to do? We ended up getting a pizza. We got our beer. We got one of those flip kind of whiteboard things from the local drugstore. Went back to the house we were staying at while in Toronto. In the accelerator 
and we had our white hats on. Nobody could criticize any idea that was thrown out, and we just wrote everything down. We had 30 ideas after our first pass. Okay, now that we have all our ideas, put on the black hat. We went line by line, what's wrong with this idea? And we knocked them down to half, to 15, and then we did a second pass, and we had only six left. And the third one down the list ended up being Gidget. And I think that was really interesting of just coming up with all these ideas is that's how Gidget was born, um, is over beers and pizza and just throwing out ideas and crazy stuff. So that's one interesting story. I kind of like where you never know where uh, a startup will come from. Sure. Uh, the other one is also Gidget is uh, I was talking about how testing stuff cheaply and how we learned that people weren't so interested in having these infographics of us categorizing and how they'd spent their time in the week you know, in a nice infographic email digest letter at the end. And the way we did that was manu-categorizing stuff. So we had built this uh, kind of dashboard where it would anonymize the data and we would only see the subject and the description, and we'd have to go and pick from a bunch of tags, and then later on when the report would be generated, we'd kind of add the tags in the different categories. So we'd sit down, watch the hockey game on TV, and start tagging stuff. And one of the ones I ended up getting was um, there was an event scheduled in somebody's calendar for them to shave their private parts. So <laughs> that was a little you know, interesting as far as an event being in somebody's uh, calendar. But uh, You got I, I don't, time. <laughs> yeah, book book the time to do that, but you know, we didn't know who it was. We That's good. It was all anonymized, so I couldn't judge them too harshly. <laughs> That's actually hilarious. Um so with all those startup ideas that you had when you were brainstorming, did you guys ever um think about creating those after the fact? A lot of them we did think about maybe doing later. Um I think we just it was a while ago, and I think we've lost the list, so I don't even know what we had written down, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them were based on ideas that either we'd had as problems personally, or family members had run into these problems, or people we knew had run into problems, or they were verticals or niches we thought would be interesting to try and break into because we thought the existing competitors weren't doing a good enough job, or that we thought there was a new category that, you know, could be filled by us building a product for that for that vertical. So it was kind of a mix and match of everything um, as far as how that list was created. But I don't know if any of those ideas have been built from either myself or Andrew or Mike Potter was the other person that was uh, with us when we did that. So I don't know if anything came out of that list after Gidget and Extreme Startups. Well, that's cool. I was just you know, curious to see whatever if anything else got built. But... Um, so with that being said, do you have any apps, books, or devices that you're obsessed with right now? I can tell you what I have on my home screen, which is uh, Five by, of course. I have uh, Slack and Circa. Circa I use a lot to get news stuff, so that's a nice app. Um, for my podcasts, I use Pocket Casts. I highly recommend that uh, for anybody listening who's on Android. Definitely worth the money for that one. Um, I listen to audiobooks and Audible. That's another thing. Uh, what else do I use? Uh, Swarm sometimes, checking in to see what's going on around in Foursquare for recommendations. Sometimes I use that because there's so many restaurants and places to try out when you're in San Francisco. So mm-hmm. I get that. For, I can get. I use that for recommendations. Uh, what else? Uh, Feedly for RSS feeds. Uh, I tried Inbox 
when that came out from Gmail, from Google. Mm-hmm. Um, mixed feelings. I'm kind of on and off. I'm still I felt the same my, way. I'm still fixed in my ways with Gmail, um, mostly because I have a list, uh, like tons and tons and tons of emails, so it's easier for me to scan through than kind of the more mailbox style of inbox from Google. But you know, I might mm-hmm. give it a, a try later. Um, yeah, I felt really overwhelmed when I first opened it up. I felt like there's a lot going on, and I was unsure like where to go and where my mail mail was, and but I just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So I, I might give it a shot at some point again, but uh, I'm still a hardcore traditional email client type person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess the last thing probably is uh, Keep. I use Google Keep too for to do lists and stuff, just to keep myself kind of organized. And that's pretty much what I have on my uh, home screen. That's cool. So, so are there any books that you've been reading lately that you would recommend to anyone? Um, lately, I've been going on fictional stuff. I haven't done too much startup stuff, but if I fire up Audible, I've read a few books in the past. Um, some of them are interesting, like The Tipping Point is an interesting one from Malcolm Gladwell, just figuring out you know, those events that lead to that kind of hockey stick type stuff. Uh, in their kind of events where stuff just has that shift mm-hmm. uh, kind of tangentially applies to startups, which is kind of interesting. Um, Lean In was another interesting one. The Age of Context by Robert Scoble. I really like that one. That was a good one. Kind of echoes a little bit what I mentioned about all these sensors and devices. As we kind of have these sensors everywhere, it'll be a lot more contextual in how all of the technology around us behaves based on who we are and the stuff around it just kind of learns and is more tailored to our lifestyle. So that was another kind of good one. Um, the Everything Store, the story of Amazon, that was kind of another interesting one of, you know, doing everything to test uh, quickly and iterate and move fast is kind of another interesting one to hear the story of how Amazon was started. So Yeah, I've heard good things about that one. Cool. Well, uh, that wraps it up. Thanks so much for being on the show, Mark. Thanks for having me. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Hack to Start, and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.